Mitchell Sutherland. I'm going to interview these two guys. And um, we are talking about uh, making room and building healthy team culture. Let me just introduce myself and then I'll talk for a few minutes, 20 or so minutes, and then I'll introduce these guys that are doing the session with me. I'm John Seedling from Memphis, Tennessee. We planted our church 22 years ago. And uh, it's been an amazing journey. Been on the ARC lead team for uh, really since the beginning, 17 plus years. And so it's always a privilege to be at the ARC conferences and meet people. And I'd love to meet you if I hadn't had a chance to meet you and shake hands with you and hear your story a little bit after the uh, app session. I want to talk about team culture and staff culture. And I'm not sure I've seen somebody has hand, handouts on. Is that you, Scott? Okay, so that, that, just hold on to those when we get to Scott. We'll, We'll go into uh, we'll go into that. I'm just going to talk a little bit about our journey, my journey, our church journey, and um, uh, I'm just going to talk about these attitudes that have shaped the culture of of our church. Seven attitudes that have shaped our culture. I'm just going to go through these real quickly. And um, I mean, you know, culture is kind of a hot word right now. Leadership culture. Uh, really, in my opinion, is more powerful than vision. Yes. You have a great vision of where you want to go, but the culture is the thing that sustains the vision. So you can be really excited about something and have a vision for it, but if the, if the culture isn't strong or healthy, if the culture is not empowering, then it's going to be real hard to move forward into that. So I, I always encourage guys to think about the culture of the church and uh, the dynamics of, of the church. Let me give you a couple of verses. Second Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, 14. The Apostle Paul said, What you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Everybody say the pattern. The pattern. The pattern. I says, Keep it as a pattern with faith and love. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. In other words, what Paul is saying is, <clears throat> I've set a pattern. The pattern is the culture. And you, you have to guard it. You have to keep it. You've got to protect it. And so uh, culture is really just your, uh, if you look it up, it, it would be something like this. The, the, the predominating attitudes that characterize the functioning of an organization. The, the, the attitudes that characterize how your church, how your ministry, how your, your, how your family, companies have cultures, uh, families have cultures. And so uh, it's just, it's just, it's a massive, it's a massive part of what we do as a church. So, I'm going to give you seven of ours. These are seven attitudes that have shaped our culture, not saying they're necessarily uh, for, for you or, or ones that you need to adopt, but they've worked for us. They've helped us build uh, what, we've, what we've been able to accomplish. Number one is we have this always abounding culture. The idea is we're always reaching for what's next. We're always believing for growth. Um, you know, always abounding, King James Version, 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding means to be great in number and amount. So the idea is we always want to be growing. Mm -hmm. We always want to be growing. We want our small group numbers to grow. We want our weekend attendance to grow. We want our income to grow. Um, we want our number of volunteers to be growing, the number of people that we're reaching uh, salvation decisions. Just the idea is growth. We're reaching for growth. We always want to be 
abounding and, and growing. I heard a message years ago that Rick Warren taught uh, why, why this church must never stop growing. And uh, I started to kind of use it in the early years of our church when we weren't growing so much. I, I used that lesson to encourage everybody, let's believe God for growth. And so uh, nothing wrong with believing for growth. And, and I find that a lot of pastors oftentimes when the church is plateaued, when the church isn't growing, they get insecure. They try to defend the fact that they're not growing based on their city, based on their facility, based on their team, whatever it is. But, hey, at the end of the day, we just, if we're the senior pastors, we look in the mirror and say, it's up to me. I need to be responsible for it. And I have this heart to, 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 uh, to grow. Let's, let's do everything we can to grow. And I love to take people through the book of Acts, these, these, uh, these first verses in the book of Acts. Um, I think these are amazing. If you want to just jot them down, I'll read them real fast. Acts 1.15, it says, In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Right? Everybody knows there are 120 people. How, how do we know there are 120 people? It's my count of it. Somebody counted, right? Somebody was back in the back counting. Uh, the first usher, right? And the, you know, after the service, Peter said, How many people were in service? He said, I think about 120. He said, ah, there had to be 300 people. had to be 300 people. For sure. Then uh, one chapter later, Acts 2.41, it says those who accepted his message were baptized, and 3,000 were added to their number that day. How many of you know that's a good day, right? Yeah. How do we know there are 3,000? So my county. Like the same guy that counted the 120 pulled in those other guys. Right? That were, this is the first usher team. He was the first usher. Here's the first usher team. He's counting and it, it, we, we, we laugh about it, but the numbers are here for a reason. The Lord, the Holy Spirit wanted these numbers to be in the Bible for us to see this pattern, 120, 3,000. Acts 2, 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there's a little shift here in the church where now we go from event, sort of oriented growth to daily growth. Uh, next verse, Acts 4, 4, many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. So again, we see another number, men, 5,000, and women and children, and the church in Jerusalem had to be 20,000 or 25,000, 30,000 people. So I think it's kind of interesting today that people sort of talk about the mega church and maybe in a little bit of a, 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 little bit of a negative way, but the very first church, the first church in the book of Acts was a mega church. Multiple thousands, uh, 25, 30,000 people. Uh, so, you got to be committed to breaking these growth barriers. And when you study growth barriers, here, here, here they are. There's the, the 100 barrier, the 200 barriers. 200 barriers is one of the biggest. Then you get 500, then it's 800, then it's 1,000, then it's 1,500, then it's 2,000. 2,500, 3,000, then the next one's 5,000. So there's these barriers that are very real, and they're very specific, and there's principles with each of these barriers, how to break through uh, the barriers. The goal is we're going to do anything we can and everything we can short of sin and yeah. short of you know being foolish to grow the church because we're growing uh, God's kingdom and we're reaching people, right, everybody? So always abounding. Number two, second, second cultural thought is success begins on Sunday. 
Success begins on Sunday. If you have a Saturday night service, success begins on the weekend. And the goal being that the number one thing is the weekend service. And we're not going to do anything to compete with the weekend service. Second, you know, second to that, and some people might put it first, but second to that would be your life groups. But even your life groups, you don't want them to compete with your Saturday night service or your Sunday service. You never want people to say, uh, I, I can't serve on the weekend because I'm a life group leader or because my where I serve is life groups. You're taking away, then you're taking away sort of that, that focus, you know, mission of making the weekend great. So just building this, this, uh, this mentality that the weekend is important. The weekend is the king. It's the number one thing that we do. We got to come in ready. Our team's got to be ready. And we got to have a killer weekend, a great weekend every single, every single weekend. Uh, we, we, we have a goal of having 5% of our weekend attendance to be first time local guests. That's an, in, that's an indication that people, our people, are uh, signing off on our weekend services and they're proud of what we're doing on the weekend, and so they're bringing their friends. And the biggest indicator of growth is the people in your church inviting their friends and family because 75 to 90% of first time guests come because a friend invited them to come. So we do advertising, we do all those things, which is great. But all those things, all they do is supplement the, the invitation that more people are, are giving. Those, those the social media posts and whatever else you do, those are just supplemental. It's your, your people being so proud of how great the weekends are that they're inviting friends. Um, I think number three, I just talked about this just for a minute, is, is, our, is having a hospitality culture. Having a hospitality culture. Um, too often we go into church or we go visit a church and it's just not a very friendly environment. I think that's crazy. I think your church needs to be the friendliest place in the city. You need to be the friendliest church of all the churches in the city. Not that it's a competition, but it sort of is. And so we want to be friendly and, and, and we want to be super friendly from the moment people drive onto the parking lot. You know, I read somewhere, I don't know how true this is, but someone makes a decision of whether they come back to a church uh, within five minutes of driving onto the property. So they haven't even heard the music or the message yet. And they're making a decision based on how they're treated, how they're greeted, how their kids are, uh, are handled when, they're, when, when, when their kids are, you know, when they're checking their kids into, into the kids' areas. And so uh, the great churches, and I studied them, I'm sure you have too, the great churches, the thriving big uh, churches that are killing it, have three, I think, cultural identities that all of us need to have. They have, they have a spiritual identity, which is, seems to be obvious, but, I, you know, again, a lot of churches don't have that spiritual strength and that edge in the services and people worshiping and people turning to the Lord and just really powerful. They have, lead, they have a leadership uh, identity, which means they're raising up leaders, and then they have this third one, which is hospitality. There's, uh, it's a, there's a sense of celebration, and there's party. There's a there's food. There's laughter. That, that's all that hospitality. It's all that hospitality culture. Uh, next one what would be this be number four. Serve like crazy attitude. This is a mantra in our church. It's a part of our process. People go through the discovery process. At the end of it, they get a towel. 
that's just sort of like crazy because, you know, we don't need a title, we need a towel, and we need to serve people and wash people's feet. And so, you know, people, it's like a rally towel, you know, they... That, 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 that they're, you know, they're waving their towels and they're graduating and they're getting ready to go serve. So, um, so we push, we stretch, we have high demands, we have high expectations. We want people to serve. We don't try to make it easy. Like, well, you can just serve once a month if that's all you can do. We want people to serve every single weekend. And, and um, we, we have that kind of high demand culture. People rise up to that culture rather than trying to make it easy on everybody. Teamwork is the next one. Might be one of the most uh, unique and hard to kind of explain elements of our church, but we do have departments and we do have different teams, but everybody everybody sees their identity as part of the bigger team. And I think this is so important in terms of a healthy culture. In other words, if I'm on the worship team, I don't necessarily see my identity as I'm on the worship team. I'm on the team. Right. Right. I'm on the big team. I'm on the, the team team. I don't see my identity with the kids on the kids' life team. I'm a part of the bigger team. That's good. And the same with our staff is that you don't see yourself sort of identified through a specific department. And that makes it easier then when you have to transition or move somebody to a different area. It's like, well, I'm on the team. I signed up to be on the team. I'm ready to serve wherever, wherever I'm supposed to serve. And so... Uh, I think teamwork is massive and getting everybody to feel like they are a part of the team. I'm a part of the team. People love to be on a team. People love to be on a winning team. So when you celebrate team, you celebrate the wins. This is what we were able to do. And and since everybody sees themselves as a part of the bigger team, even if it's a, a, a win that's happening over in our finance area or vision partners or or with our outreach, everybody sees it as a win because we're all a part of that that one team. Team. Teamwork. Uh, life-giving is the next one. I think this is number six, right? Yes. So life-giving is interesting, right? It's kind of become the it's kind of become the hot um, adjective, you know, and we use it as as a, a movement here at ARC. So so a life-giving church. Um, it's like, what does that mean? I've had, I've had a lot of people ask me, what does that mean to be life-giving? And, and I, I wrote down three things that I always try to use to explain what life-giving means. What is a life-giving church? Uh, I just wrote down these three things, and I think they sort of describe it. Number one, a life-giving church has a, a real genuine, sincere love for people. It's not, you know... It's not inauthentic. It's not, you know, you really do want people, you want to see people succeed. You really do want to see people win. It's not just, we want people to win in life, and then you really, you know, people aren't sure if that's really what you want, you know, but you're preaching that way. You're, 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 you're arranging your schedule as a church that way so people can win in their families. And um, Number two, I think, is black giving churches resist uh, religion and legalism big time. So legalism is probably the greater killer of a church than, than, than anything else, than sin. For, I mean, so like, like to, to drive away legalism is, and religion, maybe some of the most important things that you can do to keep the life of God in your church, not to be religious and not to be legalistic. And then, I, I'm just going to throw this out, but t- typically life-giving churches, the services are a little lighter, like 
they're, they're fun, but not just like heavy. And, you know, when I was first a Christian, kind of growing up in, in, in ministry, uh, we, used to, we used to say things like heavy, and that was heavy. Oh, Scott? Yeah. That was so heavy. Deep. Yeah. Or, 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 man, somebody preached this, and that was hard. Like, like good, you know, like, man, that's good, you know. And then, but then you read about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus said, my yoke is and my burden is light. Okay, so easy as opposed to hard and light as opposed to heavy. So, does that make sense? Yeah. I feel like that's what ministry should feel like. I feel like that's what our services should feel like. You kind of feel like that's what it should feel like to be on, a, on, on one of our teams, yeah. leading you know a team easy and light as opposed to hard and, and heavy. And our services should feel that way. They should feel up. They should feel positive and encouraging. Does that mean you can't talk about hard things? Absolutely, you can, and you need to. But uh, you know, we're gonna we're gonna do so in an inspire in, in, in an inspiring way. We're gonna inspire people. We're gonna lift people. And then number seven, let me just finish with this and take just a, a little extra time on this one. Uh, the seventh attitude is this attitude of, of change. I love change. I love change. And this is a big one because most people don't love change, right? And change is hard. It's not easy. But to, to grow as a church, you know, you're going to make a million changes. And the church is going to change, and you're going to change. And Jesus does it, but he's the only one that does it. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. But we all change, and this country's changing, and the world is changing, and the seasons change, and people change, and the economy, and everybody tracking with me. I mean, yeah. change is all around us, and it's amazing. It's really difficult for the church. And that's why you find a lot of churches that are stuck back in some era. They didn't make the hard choices and hard decisions. And every week I'm, I'm dealing with a pastor and coaching a pastor or a church that has plateaued and are not growing anymore. And it's because, because that pastor didn't make the hard choices when he needed to make them in the season that he needed, he needed to make them to keep the church growing and evolving and changing. So, um, so, 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 we gotta, we got to build this into the culture of our church that we're, we're, we're going to stay current, we're going to stay relevant, we're going to adapt, we're going to evolve. Uh, Rick Warren said this, if you want to jot it down, there's no growth without change, there's no change without loss, there's no loss without grief, and there's no grief without pain. I'll read it again. There is no growth without change, there's no change without loss, there is no loss without grief, and there is no grief without pain. Meaning, when you stop and think about sometimes the changes that you need to make, you're going to get to, as you, as you think about them, as you brainstorm about them, you're going to get to a point where you're going to realize, oh, this is going to be hard. It's going to be, this is going to hurt. That's when you have to stop and think, am I going to, am I going to press through the pain of change, or am I just going to stay where we're just going to stay where we are? And those are the moments that really decide what the church is going to look like. So I love change. Sam Chan said this: um, the difference between where you are and where God wants you to be is the pain you're unwilling to endure. 
That's a good one, isn't it? <laughs> so a couple times a year, we, at least two times a year, we do big picture assessments and we make adjustments. We do it in the summer and then we do it right at the end of the year. And, um, you know, it's really, it's, it's been really, really healthy. I heard somebody say one time in a growing church, 10% of your staff is on the bubble. They're struggling. So if you got, you know, you got 10 people on staff and you got somebody that's probably, you know, do the math. You got 100 people on staff, you probably got half a dozen people that aren't sure that they can keep doing what they're doing and their the church has outgrown them and they're struggling. What are you going to do? Are you going to kind of keep them there? You know that they're not functioning well anymore. Are you going to make that, going to make that change? Uh, Hebrews 10 verse 9 says that the Lord sets aside the first to establish the second. That's the hard part about change is God sometimes takes something away before he brings in the next thing. So we, you know, we pray, Lord, change us and move the church forward and grow the church. And then God starts shaking the tree. And he's shaking the tree to kind of shake off some of the dead, some of the dead fruit. And, and, you know, just do a little study of the word shaking in the Bible. God's good at it. And he's shaking. He shakes things up so that it can stir some change and start moving some things, uh, some things forward. It's not easy. Uh, but we gotta we gotta love change. We gotta be people that love it. We gotta stay on the on the on our toes, right? We always gotta be ready to move forward into everything that that God has for us. And so uh, I think that's another of the seven attitudes. I love change. Let me introduce these guys. Scott uh, Hornsby is the uh, brother of Billy Hornsby. Many of you know who uh, Billy was. is the founder of ARC, and so many of you know who Scott is. He's on the, he's on the lead team, one of the founders of ARC. Pastored uh, for how many years, Scott? 33. 33 years in Louisiana, and um, he's a great, great, great leader, great man. Great. One of the things that's great about Scott is he's just a great... He's a great husband and a great dad, great granddad, and just a great friend. Delo Shields pastors in Gaithersburg, Maryland, has been pastoring for how long? Thirty-two years. Thirty-two years. So these guys have seen, they've seen it all. It's come and gone, and they're still there in Jesus' name. Uh, and so Scott's son now pastors the church that he founded. Dale is still pastoring and still leading that church. And uh, Scott, just tell us maybe a couple of nuggets about uh, this idea of making room and, and, and team church. I know you passed out some notes. I don't know if you want to go through yeah, a couple of these. You know. well, thank you, John. Look, um, we've been friends for years and years and years from Baton Rouge and LSU. I thought I'd throw that in there. Yeah. <laughs> go Tigers. Yeah, go Tigers. Uh, but you know, uh, it's really a challenge, but it's rewarding when you do make the change, and the change is a God change. You'll start seeing your church grow. Yeah. Uh, my my idea is like think big, ask big, risk big, and risk big is when you really have to step out in faith. I remember when we made our biggest change. I actually moved locations, but uh, we were a charismatic church. Uh, our altar calls were two hours. <laughs> and uh, it was wearing me out. And, uh, you know, when you lay hands on the same head for the same reason, every week, I mean, it was old. You know, somebody doesn't have faith. 
And so we started changing. We changed the music. We played music, this music called Bayou Boogie Gospel. Uh, oh, yeah, it's great. And I found out I loved it, but I was the only one in the church that did love it. It's kind of like a mixture between James Brown and Jerry Lee Lewis. I'd sing it for you, but you'd fall in love with it and want to take it back. But, uh, you know, uh, it, was, it, was, it was an incredible challenge. And we built a building, which don't do what I'm getting ready to tell you to do. Uh, we built another location. We built this building, spent a few million dollars, and we didn't have a congregation. And uh, I was nervous the first day, to be honest with you. I was in the office looking through the blinds to see if anybody was going to show up. But God really blessed that. And uh, then just to all the changes that we did, and when my son took over as senior pastor, and one of the things I was listening to uh, Pastor John talk about was culture. Uh, you're really creating this culture. In South Louisiana, you better have some culture going on because that's a bunch of Cajuns down there. And uh, y'all give celery up here to eat. We eat boudin. And you don't know what that is, but it's, you know where it is? It's good. <laughs> but uh, it reminds me, uh, I, let me just sell one Boudreaux joke. I'll tell it. And then I'll let it go. Boudreaux, and there's Thibodeau's and... You say Richard, we say Richard. You say David, we say David. You say Herbert, we say Abair. So we're training you guys on how to speak. <laughs> but Boudreaux is this very, very uh, famous guy. Everybody knows Boudreaux. And uh, matter of fact, Boudreaux was in California not too long ago. And uh, he was driving down one of the interstates and uh, following his truck. And a big hog fell out of the back of the truck. Well, Boudreaux stopped and picked the hog up and was chasing the truck, trying to get back to the guy that the hog had fallen out of his truck. And a state policeman pulled him over. And when he pulled Boudreaux over, he recognized Boudreaux because everybody knows Boudreaux. Yeah. He said, Boudreaux, what are you doing here? And he told him, he said, man, you were speeding. He said, yeah, but I'm trying to get that hog back. He said, I want you right now to take that hog to the zoo. You hear what I'm saying? He said, yes, sir. So Boudreaux did that a couple of days later. There's Boudreaux and the hogs on the front in the front seat with Boudreaux, and they're riding down the interstate. Well, the same police, state policeman saw him, pulled him over. He said, "Hey, Boudreaux, I thought I told you to take that hog to the zoo." He said, "I did." He said, "Man, we had so much fun. I'm taking you to the zoo." I think you need a word from the Lord that he speaks to you. And then as you begin to develop what you're trying to do and to accomplish, uh, I, I know there are steps before you do make that big change. And one of the steps, you get kind of miserable where you are. And by God puts some glass in your nest. But uh, change has been the lifesaver of our whole ministry. Mm. That's awesome. Passion. How about Dale? Dale, um, I spoke for uh, a conference that Dale has. It's fantastic. A bunch of pastors and leaders there. Maybe you could talk about that for a minute, but also uh, just a little bit about team and culture and, yeah. you know, some things you've learned. 
Yeah, well, thank you, John. It's a joy to be here and to, to be a part of ARC and uh, all that God's doing through the ARC. And it's great to see what God's doing in each of your lives. And, uh, you know, we've been uh, pastoring our church for 32 years. We, we uh, planted the church in 1986. And, of course, that was uh, pre-ARC days. We did not have, I, I actually was telling someone recently when we started our church, I was looking for some information about church planning. I could not really even find any. So it, uh, mm-hmm. I literally uh, wore out a pair of shoes the first summer going door to door, knocking on doors, inviting people to church. And that's not a good way to start a church. It just, <laughs> it's, it's what we did. But, uh, and and we, didn't, we didn't have information back at that stage of the game about culture or it just that word was not. I, mean, I remember the first right. time I heard the word culture. It's like, what is that in church? I don't quite understand it. Right. But as I've come through the years, and of course, when you're pastoring the same church for 32 years, um, you're going to go through lots of different seasons. Okay, if you're going to be there for long for a longevity, a period of time, and and culture change. I mean, uh, the culture around you changes. Uh, the way you're going to approach ministry changes. We've changed quite a bit over the years. About maybe 10 years ago, we made some major changes in our church, and so change is vital. And culture has become, uh, to me, one of the most important things that we do and focus on as a church now. And I totally agree with John, what he said a moment ago. It, it trumps uh, vision all the time. I mean, it's just, if you, you have the greatest mission and vision statement in the world, but if you've got lousy culture, it's, it's, it's not going not to really be effective or fun. So I wrote some words down that I can just throw throw out. That's okay, yeah. John. That yeah, uh, I think about when it comes to culture, and I, uh, I have five words here. Culture is formed by culture. By the way, exists intentionally or unintentionally. Okay, you have a culture whether you realize it or not. Okay, that's part of what I learned. And so the culture will be healthy, unhealthy, intentional or unintentional. But culture is demonstrated to me by five things. Number one, what you demonstrate. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because culture starts with you. Be the culture that you want to see. Okay? It starts with you. Okay? It starts with your leadership team. And so who and what you are is going to be duplicated in the church. Okay? If you're not friendly, don't expect your ushers to be friendly. Okay? <laughs> yep. One of the things that I do at our church, multiple services, but every service, is I go to the back door and I say hi to everybody. Okay? I stay there till the next service if I have to. And that's because I want that to be the, I want people to see that's what I do. Okay. That's great. So we want everybody to do it. So culture, number one, is about what you demonstrate. Number two, is about what you communicate. Your language will determine your culture. How you say things in church make a difference. How you do your announcements make a difference. We changed up many years ago. We never asked for, we never say in our church, we need you to volunteer for this. People don't respond to need. We say we have an amazing opportunity for you to be a part of. People yep. respond to vision. They don't respond to need. And so it's the way you language, the word, words that you use, so what you demonstrate, what you communicate, and then number three, what you celebrate. Okay, What you celebrate will determine your culture. The, cel- the, the things that you draw positive attention to is going to be replicated in, your, in the context of your church. Right. And then uh, the fourth one is what you tolerate. Mm. Okay. Uh, there's certain things that you put up with that you kind of hold your nose and put up with, right? And what happens is because you're holding your nose, what does that tell Every time you hold your nose, why? It stinks. Because of what? It stinks. It stinks, exactly right. But, you know, you're willing to walk around church and hold your nose at things, and you realize it's not what I really want it to it's be, good. but I'm going to tolerate it. And whatever you tolerate that you're holding your nose with, it's affecting the culture. I mean, you've got, you've got a spiritual... Uh, nose for a reason, okay? Yep. So when you smell stuff that you say, I don't like that attitude I just smelled there, <laughs> uh, but I'm going to tolerate it, then what you realize, you're, you're compromising your culture based upon what you're tolerating by the, if you will, the spiritual odor that you're That's picking great. up around you. Very okay? good. And the last thing I would say to you, the fifth thing that I think of in terms of culture is what, you, what you're willing to confront, okay? Uh, culture is, ne- culture never changes without confrontation. 
Every time we've made changes in our church, changes culture-wise or in the flow of how we do church. And, of course, after 32 years, we do church very differently today than we did 32 years ago. Okay? When we first started church, I mean, all the pastors and all the everybody, and, you know, the elders and the deacons, everybody sitting on the platform. Okay? And it's like a big, you know, you know it's like a big pontification process. <laughs> well, we've had to change that kind of thing over years. So, you know, it's, it, church evolves. Mm-hmm. But you've got to confront things. You can't change what you're not willing to confront. Okay? Yep. And so what you're willing to confront, really, what you get sick and tired of That's good. to the point that you say, this is just not going to be who we are as a church. You're willing to have those difficult conversations that are necessary and address the things that are necessary and pay the price sometimes Good. for the changing of the culture. Every time we've changed culture, moved our culture forward in our church, there's always been somebody that didn't like it. There's always been somebody that resisted it. Okay? Uh, there have been times that we've lost people associated with it. But we've always, when, you, when you make your culture healthier, it might look like it's hurting initially, but if you're making your culture healthier, you will, it, it will always benefit fit you in the long run. Okay? Very good. It may seem like you're losing something right now, but the benefit will be far greater uh, on the back side of mm-hmm. that process. It hurts on the front side, but uh, the best thing you can do is go after the culture. Don't forget about your mission statement for a bit. We all know what our mission is, right? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, right. make disciples, right. baptize. I mean, every evangelical, basic Bible-believing church has the same mission. Okay? Mm-hmm. We don't need to spend our time. I'm worrying about mission statements. Jesus gave it to it. Matthew 18, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. There's the mission statement. Yep. But spend your time focusing on your culture statement. Yep. What does our culture statement need to be? And what are we going to demonstrate, communicate, celebrate, tolerate, and be willing to confront? Great. Fantastic. That was great. Very good. Maybe we can just do some Q&A. If anybody has questions, uh, we can try to answer them or talk about, you know, when it comes to... Uh, Staff team, Dale. How about your? How about we talk just for a minute about your staff uh-huh. culture? Sta- how many people on staff? What? What? Uh, you we know. have about a hundred uh, full-time staff members. Somewhere around it, it yep. fluctuates somewhat from time to time, depending upon what season someone says they're sure. they're in. Sure. <laughs> so, yeah. 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 In that regard, but uh, somewhere around that, and then we, uh, in terms of our, uh, we try to structure very much. Although we have departments, we try to build that team mindset, like you're talking about. Yeah. Everybody's on the same team. Uh, you might be on this team for right now, but then, uh, you know, it may yep. be that you're on a different team at some point in time. And so we, we structure f- from that standpoint. Um, I'm not sure what else you asked. Do you, me, no, yeah. Do, what about your campuses? How many do you ca- have? Multi campuses? We have, one we have five campuses. Yeah. Okay. We have uh, five campuses. Uh, furthest one from us is 30, uh, 30, about 30 miles mm-hmm. away from us. Okay. And uh, we have campus leads that run those campuses. And we have sort of a mixed model between centralized, decentralized yep. structure associated with that. Right, um, and uh, uh, you know, it's it's that's a that's a whole other learning process sure. there, yeah. and that's about the same for us. We have about a hundred people on staff. We've got the same camp, five campuses, a mix of central and 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 decentral. So uh, we can talk about any of that stuff, guys. We've got about twenty five minutes, and so we can go Q and A for a little while and just talk about what you want to talk about, and uh, and wrap it up in about twenty minutes, twenty five minutes. So. I'll help. I'll help with the the, the Q and A. Yes, sir. All the way to the back. That's you. you can address minor things or you can address major things. You try to keep your culture in mind. So maybe there's some red flags you could talk about, like the discipline. 
You're talking about like like if you're in a weekend service and there's something that happens you don't like and you want to deal with it, or, or you're talking about with a person. You're like yeah, between people. Yeah, you know, like people who are like volunteers that are serving under me. How can how can I address things that seem like whoa? I saw that happen. That doesn't seem right. Sometimes sometimes you let things go. Sometimes you you need to address them quickly. So maybe just with all your years of experience. Say, yeah, this is a red flag. Hurt. You, know, just... you want to go ahead, please, John. Okay. I mean, I, I think you you really, you really kind of answered it within your within your question. Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, and I think it's a following the Holy Spirit thing for sure. But I think there's probably each of us have different maybe things that we sort of obsess on or things that we focus on, and um, you know, you kind of tend to maybe kind of deal with those things. Obviously, you mentioned somebody getting hurt. Obviously, you're gonna you're gonna deal with that. You don't want people getting hurt either physically or spiritually, emotionally, in any way. Uh, but I think it's kind of a feel thing. I mean, I think you just kind of feel, you know, what it is that you know this doesn't feel right. You circle back around, you have a conversation with that person. Um, I tell you this. I mean, I've been pastoring 22 years, and uh, I have those difficult conversations all the time. And consistently, and they never end, and you never think, well, I may hope I get to this point where, you know, I'm not going to have to Absolutely. be involved in this. And you, it, ne- it really never ends. You always have to be willing to confront a strong word. You always have to be willing to correct. You always have to be willing to adjust. You always have to be willing to have those conversations like, man, when you said this, it just didn't resonate well. We don't really use that language. This seemed a little strong, seemed a little harsh. You got to tone it down a little bit. Whatever the the context is, uh, I think the willingness is you know is one of the most important things. You're willing to kind of keep things between the rails, yeah. Keep things going. I'd say one thing about that as well. If I, if I can piggyback on what John said just for a moment, I think what you what we try to do in our church uh, and what our key guys here, Steve Rivera, is a part of our team here back over here. We we really work very difficult, very very diligently. To try to create a culture where uh, correction and adjustment is the norm. It's okay. We expect that to happen, okay? And so the culture is feedback. It's a feedback culture, okay? There you go. And so if you're, you know, if he's given announcements one, one weekend and I didn't like the way that he did it, he knows I'm going to talk to him about it. And we already got, it's already worked out. We know we have this conversation. Yeah. And we're still friends. It has nothing to do with that. But there's that culture that creates the feedback loop. And it becomes, I think you have to define what you want your culture to be. And then you know what adjustments you need to make. Yeah. Good. Yeah. And you know, sometimes uh, you just have to, have to deal with it. Uh, we found out that Christians do not like to be told where to park. <laughs> and we had a guy that they don't want to, they want to park where they want, they don't want you to tell them where to park. So we had a guy that was determined that they were going to park where he wanted them to park, and we had a problem out in the parking lot. And we didn't even know about it. We were inside greeting people and everything, and we got this guy out there. I mean, he's hurting people's feelings and everything. (laughs) So uh, I think sometimes you just need to adjust some people out. And you could just call it promotion. You're going to go from the parking lot, and you're going to start handing out bulletin. You did such a great job out there. We're going to put you with bulletin now. <laughs> sometimes you just got to move them. Yeah, yeah that's true. Good. Very true. Um, what are some uh, like evaluative measures you guys put, put in your organization to, to really measure culture and how each environment is 
We're either helping that attitude or hurting the attitude that you guys want. I think sometimes church planning is ready, fire, aim, and you got yep. our teams and everyone's going, and it's like, okay, we, we did, we pulled it off, you know, and we just turned a year, and I feel like one of the things that we need to do now is really get specific, like, so this is how we do it here, yeah. and, um, and I want to be able to replicate that deep into the culture. Well, I think that's what we're talking about, is yeah. defining your culture and coming up with a series of, you know, it used to be, you know, when you started a church, you had a vision and a statement, then you had values, and then you had all, you know, so really, values really are your cultural statements. Yeah, that's right. So I think you want to you want to come up with and get with your team and, it, you know, take, take a couple of days and just get around the table and get a whiteboard and just like, you know, what are some of the things that we... You know that that we say a lot, or what are some of the like one of one of my things is keep you know we, we need to keep a yes in our pocket. Everybody's got to have a yes. You got to always be ready to say yes, and so that's one of our things. We keep a yes in our pocket. So if somebody is has an unwillingness, we can say, man, we that's not really our flow, man. We got this yes kind of yes in your pocket kind of. So if you can kind of come up with six or seven or eight or nine, you know, like not too many, but and then they have to work across. All the departments, right? Yes. Worship team and kids and media and, you know, the parking and the, the helps, you know, the whole host teams. So that they're, they really are cultural value statements that, you know, and, and you know, it's kind of like the hip. It's real cool right now to have all these cool, fun statements, you know, uh, which is fine. You know, do it and, and, and come up with them and have a list of them and then you teach them to your team and you teach them to the church and put them on the wall somewhere they just got to just got to make sure they're not just on the wall right yeah that's right they're, that they're happening down the hall is what everybody says you know it can't just be on the wall but happening down the hall but i think it's a self um and and it kind of irritates me a little bit i mean i've you know you go on websites and everybody's copying everybody else's cool statements about culture and uh i think man come up with your own you know be your own person come up with your own um, even if they're kind of the same generosity, that needs to be a part of the culture. You know, you know, make it make it your own statement that fits with whatever you know, whatever it is. And then everybody has a guide. And don't make it complicated. Yeah. That's, that, that's what got me initially with culture. Like, oh, it seems such a heavy, complicated, heavy, heavy thing. Yes. Yeah. No, no. Wait a minute. Culture is like, what do you like to be around? That's really. I mean, what kind of? What, where do you have fun? What? What is? What, that's, and then, okay, what makes that environment that way? And then that tells you the culture. And so, I think when you think about what is heaven like, well, there's a culture. You want heaven to earth. So right. you, know, you just have to start thinking about that in that regard. So, how, what do we want our people to feel when they walk in our church? That's culture. So don't overcomplicate it. Don't make it like I'm not sure if I get that culture revelation. Okay, but it's not. A, it's just what kind of environment do you want people? You want people to walk in and feel like church is fun. You want people to walk in, feel yeah. people being served. You want people to walk in and make sure that this is a place like John said. It's a generosity. Okay, it's just it's just what you want your environment to feel. People say yes. We tell our people. You know, we don't say no here. We say we find a way to say yes. Now, occasionally we'll have to say no. We try to find a way to say yes. We, t- we carry two buckets with us. Every situation. Uh, you can throw gasoline or water, whichever you want. That's a culture thing. Mm. And so these are the kind of things you begin to pick up on. And so you, I think you can overcomplicate. The other thing too, just to piggyback on that, is the idea of having a statement, a series of statements that go across the, the, the what you don't want is like somebody that serves in kids and then they like they, they, they transition to the host teams. 
and it's a totally different yes. feel, you know, because the leader's different and the environment's different. That's what keeps that, the, those statements, keeps that consistency across the, across the whole kind of breadth of church. John, let me just say, I wrote something, I had a little out, uh, outline to you guys. And I thought about uh, being a team and all of us working yep. together, and I thought about the three Ds, three good D words. And we constantly are going to have to be developing people. Yep. So and we do that through growth track and other means, but you de- you're always developing, constantly developing. Jesus did it. He developed his disciples to do certain things. And then the next thing that Jesus did, he delegated. Mm. He began to assign people to do certain things because sometimes maybe they're in the wrong place at the wrong, wrong yeah. time or the right time or whatever. But they began to delegate. That's good. Brother Billy said, uh, used to say, if you need something done, always find someone else to do it. <laughs> yeah, that's good. And, I, and the next thing, which is a good leader, he'll always do like a quarterback, he's directing. Yes. He begins from delegation, he's developing, yep. delegating, he's directing. And the key is so you can execute. Yes. I mean, if I would draw a play out right now, an offensive and defensive football team, everybody has a thing that they need to do on that team so that when they call the play, if everybody will execute their job, whatever it may be, I was a running back and receiver. And if I would do in my, I might not have nothing to do with the play for it happening, but what I did do in its small way was part of the execution that helped the development, the delegation, and the direction of the team so the play would work. It's good, Scott. So we want it to work. That's great. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, maybe you right. Yeah, you right there. Maybe then. We'll let a lady in. No, go ahead. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, now, point four was high demand uh, serve culture. You guys have at your church. Yeah. Um, what is some, uh, I guess healthy a healthy standard for community? Uh, if your church has a lot of volunteers and uh, uh, full time staff members, does that make sense? No. What What's the question? Um, so, so what's like a good standard to have for your team? Do you, like, how much is there demanding too much? Oh, well, I'm sure there is, but I mean, I think everybody has to. Uh, I, I just, I, I guess, what I was saying when I said that is, we don't apologize, you know, asking people to serve in church mm-hmm. and 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 asking them to serve a lot. We feel like it's a, it's what we're called to do, and it's probably the greatest privilege that we have. We're planted yes. in the house of God. With, um, so I, I feel like everybody, including our staff, has to. They have to figure out how to manage their schedule, their family time, and when it's gets to be too much they they have to they're the ones really that have to figure that out and i think the idea is that that's everybody's responsibility it's not the church's responsibility to help make sure every volunteer is has a healthy balance in their personal life and how much they're serving but we want people to serve and so we want people to join teams and we want people to get involved and um consistency in serving is so important in church yeah. And for for people and for the church, yeah. and when someone serves consistently, they tend to be more generous. There's so many stats that we could talk about. Right. So I, I, the, the bottom line is, we don't apologize for asking people to work hard in church and to serve. And we um, cast a big, compelling vision, and we give people the opportunity to help build that vision to be a part of that vision. 
And I just feel like too many pastors are weak where this is concerned, <laughs> and they're apologize, they're apologetic. And I know I, I know I, I know I'm asking a lot, but you know, just all that stuff, it just seems, it just comes across wrong. Yeah, it, it, it makes it makes it feel like the church is, you know, less than 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 worthy of their time. All that stuff, it just, you know, it's one of those things that irritates me. So we we just we have a compelling vision. We we have a high we do we have a high demand culture a hard work type culture from our staff down it's like what I wrote those things down that that Dale talked about just, you know we, we do it so we ask people to do it as well and, uh, yeah, I think it's just a it's just a you know strong strength in leadership let me let me let her ask a question real quick here um, you talked about the um, feedback culture loop which is awesome how do you the sh- so um, the husband and I foster a church, and how, how do you change that culture when the culture isn't healthy? So, like, uh, the, the ship is going, and everybody's on it, and we're in the water, and it's going in this culture, this task-driven, sassy pants culture. And how do, you, how do you shift that to, you know, the friendly, welcoming Everybody's on the boat. Everyone is serving culture. Yeah. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think number one is the the recognition that the ship's going the the wrong way is the first thing. That's awesome because that's like, okay, whoa, we need to make some changes, which is good. And then the next thing I would say is that most people are we we as pastors are responsible for sheep, and sheep have to be led and taught. And so you have to teach culture. You have to teach what it is. And so we have for our volunteers, I actually wrote a book about this called Living and Giving God's Dream. And so uh, it's available if you want to get a copy of it. I take all of our volunteers, you know, go through that class. It's a six-week class. And if they go through it, it gets everybody. I don't care if you serve in the parking lot or you serve in the nursery or you're in the altar, whatever. you. Everybody goes through that class, and that class is all about culture. I don't say it's a culture class. But it's, it's if you're going to be on, if you will, our, we don't call it dream team at our church, but if you want to be on the dream team, this is, this is our culture. It's like leadership 101. And so you begin the process by training and teaching and saying, this is, isn't this the kind of place you want to be in, okay? And so you begin to throw that vision out and you begin to slowly kind of change the culture by any, just like anything else, the teaching and training process. And then and it, it's going to take a little while. Culture doesn't change uh, easily and doesn't change uh, quickly. But if you're intentional about your training, it, it, it begins, and, and you're modeling at the upper levels of leadership, it begins, I think it's a, is a key. I would, you know, one suggestion I would make is I would start, I'll just use your example, and I would start one place. And you and Good. your husband, like I would start, like just this is an example, I would start with the host teams. Like I would get all the parking people, all the people that are front door greeting, and anybody that would be on that. And I would start like this thing that Dale's talking about and get some kind of book or something and do a thing at your home for six weeks on Sunday nights. And you just teach about being friendly. You teach about what does it mean to be hospitable. Yeah. I mean, be friendly. Have them to your house and show them what hospitality is like. Show them what it means to be warm and accommodating and helpful. And then all of a sudden you're turning one one team around and people are going to notice then you take the team leaders of the other teams and you bring them through the, you know, there's just like systematically have, you know, put a strategic plan in place of like, these are the, these are the four things, seven things we're going to focus on in 2019. We're going to turn the ship and then in 2020, we're going to go here. 
before you know it, you'll 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 turn the you'll turn it around. John says something so great uh, in all of our intellect and our talents and abilities and what we can do and all that we learn. He said something that was so I thought so great. He said sometimes it's a feeling, and that's where we let the Holy Spirit into what we're doing, and He begins to guide us. Because in all of our teams and everything, we want a presence of God. In yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I believe there needs to be a supernatural thread of God's power running through every yeah, part of our That's ministry. Good. And if we can teach them that they would look up and feel what God has for people that are visiting on the yeah. cross. Yeah. And then we start directing them toward that type of not just the feeling, yeah. but we do need the feeling. Yes. And these certain things with Pastor John said, you just feel it. You just know. And people catch feelings because when it's a Holy Spirit feeling, it's real, it's true, and people can grab it. Yeah, that's right. They'll follow it. Yeah, that's, that's right. Yes, ma'am. Um, this is building on the point about delegation, but as you grow and scale, how do you inspect what you expect? You, you just train people that train people and then you have to trust that those people are checking in on what they're supposed to be checking in on I mean it's, it is, it's more delegation it's more just trusting that they're in my mind it's that you're trusting them to take what they're supposed to do and inspect it and you know I mean <clears throat> our church knows and our team knows that I can kind of jump into any environment and any meeting and flow in and out of anything that, that that I want to and so oftentimes I'll just go stop by somewhere and check on something or say hi, go pop in and say hi to everybody and kind of get a feel for what the vibe is and uh, you know I mean I think it's uh, most of what you have to do at when you start having more layers on your staff is you have to trust the people that are sitting around the table with you and I would just say this, if there's someone leading somewhere and you don't trust them, you need to make the change because yes, exactly. you, you're never, you'll never really feel like they're doing a good enough job because you just have, you just, there's something there you don't trust. So go ahead and relieve them of their pressure, you know, and put somebody in there that you trust or take somebody that's doing really well and add, add on to their plate, you know, put this other thing on their plate. I don't know if you want to. Anybody else want to t- touch on that one? Yes, sir. Um, especially Pastor Dell, I know you probably had to fire people that wouldn't correct and adapt culture of curricular redeemers. As a lead pastor, walk us through that that decision making process. When do you know, hey, we've given an action plan, they still aren't being met, we're going to let you go? Just kind of walk us through that. If, if it comes to that. Yeah, I mean, most of the time, I mean, generally the firing somebody is the, the like the last part of the, I mean, you want to basically, if you can, if you have the right culture, people deselect themselves, yeah. okay? Mm-hmm. At some point in time, say, so, you know what, That's this good. is just not me, okay? And they say, yeah, we know, okay? And so, <laughs> it's like, we agree, okay? 
So it makes so yeah. Thank you very much. We appreciate that. Yes. So I think if you have a really strong culture, then what happens is people that don't fit in the culture, they don't like being there. Okay, because they they, they they don't have a space to if they have an agenda and they can't find a way to work their agenda, they're going to yeah. go somewhere else to find their agenda. Okay, you know. So so you just have the tighter your culture and the stronger your culture is, the more you deselect people, and so and the and that's in the volunteer teams as well as in the staff teams. Yeah. Yeah. Last resort. Yes, sir. I have a question. Um, in for the volunteer teams and holding accountability, I know every once in a while they have people that kind of um, that would show up to volunteer and for no reason to kind of show up. And when you address that um, accountability, is that more um, that issue or, or is it could it be have you come across where it's more of a deeper issue with having maybe with the church or just a personal life issue? I mean, it just depends on the person, right? right. And that team leader has to sort through that, figure that out, I right. think. That's what I would say. Yes, sir. Um, what, are, what is one of the biggest struggles that you have to overcome as a pastor or just building teams, being a team leader? Uh, what's that? I'm sorry, I missed this. Like, what, are, what are some of the things that you've had to overcome as being like a team leader? Or, or um, yeah, where do we start with things I've had to <laughs> overcome? I don't know. Uh, in every season, I think there's new challenges. Uh, I think, you know, message last night was phenomenal yep the whole grasshopper thought of you know it, it's it's internal more than it is external that's good and it's so easy to blame and i think pastors are great at blaming i mean i've had pastors who say man my people just won't you know follow me <laughs> it, just, it just sounds so funny <laughs> my people won't follow well, my people won't follow your people my people won't follow anyway um you know, blame the city, you know, city's too small, city's too big, city's too, uh, I just think, you know, we got to just look in the mirror and take responsibility. Uh, so I obviously felt inferior in moments, uh, um, you know, felt stretched like, to, you know, to the breaking point many, many, many times, uh, you know, uh, I can't, I, you know, it's like when people ask me what's my favorite song. I can't tell you. I love all. I love music, so I don't have a favorite song or a favorite restaurant. I don't know one thing I've had to overcome uh, more than a lot of things that in every season it seems to be something unique and something different. And there's like a, I, I feel like you know you need an anointing for every season because I think there's different giants for every season. So uh, the point is, there's always something you're going to have to overcome. There's no doubt about it. You know. Scott, Brother Scott, what would you say? Uh, people. I just saw it all Dale, what do you think? I think fear. I think it's interesting because one of the things in the Bible that's repeated so much is fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, fear not, which kind of goes to the core, probably whether it's dealing with a team and so many fears that can come up, fears of your own insecurity, fears of your own inabilities, yeah. fears of confrontation, fears of... Those are th- the things that have kept me awake more than anything else in night are fears. Mm. When you boil them all down, fears of the future, fears of the past, fears of whatever it is. You know? So I think that's why God says so many, many times, you know, deal, he didn't give us so a spirit of fear. Am I supposed to... This, is it, am I getting this like... like you've got... You've got a lot of advocates over there. He man. sure did. Here we go. We're going to finish. Final, final question right here is yours. It's all you. It's all you. Better be good. He's <laughs> like, man, I didn't ask for this. <laughs> they did. All these guys did this to you. 
cast vision, change your vision, uh, culture from top down. But then the church has grown and evolving. Have you ever had instances where the culture has been shaped by people from the ground up? Where you had people on your team that you trust? Yeah. And in the vision, based upon, you can't define everything as it grows. And some things you actually name after it grows. So has there any been instances where that's happened? And if so, how did people effectively lead up where you trusted their judgment that, ah, that's a piece of new culture we need to adopt. Yeah, I think so. I, I would think most definitely that I'm trying to think of an example, but I think if you know if you have great people around you, you know they're taking the culture and making it better. Yeah. Yeah. They're taking it and adding language to it yeah. that you're like, yes, that's what I meant. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, um, you know, Moses. His hands were held up by Aaron and her, and Joshua could only win when his hands were up, and his hands could only stay up because of Aaron and her. And so, uh, that's the whole essence of team, the beauty of team, and one hundred percent. I think I would I would say one hundred percent, and sometimes even I think the myth, and and I'll say it, you know, this way. I think I, you know, a long time ago. I, I took the pressure off myself of having to have all the answers. And I'll even, we'll go into a meeting, I'll say, guys, this is what I feel like we need to do. I don't know how we're going to do it. I have no idea how we can do this. And so, but I, I know around this table there's enough, you know, passion yeah. and enough good, you know, smarts that we can, we can figure this out. And oftentimes it's like, so you guys go, Give it a give it a shot and get, tell me what you think or you know different teams and different and I think that's how it happens. Absolutely, I, that's what I think. Hey, that was a great question. Yeah, that was just awesome. Thank you guys. Thank you. Thank you very much.